Welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty, an industry podcast for loyalty marketing professionals. I'm your host, Paula Thomas, and if you work in loyalty marketing, join me every week to learn the latest ideas from loyalty specialists around the world. Just before we share today's episode, I want to ask you to sign up to the Let's Talk Loyalty email newsletter. Our email newsletter is by far the best way for us to keep you up to date with all of the latest incredible loyalty stories we're sharing each week. It's also the easiest place for you to find our show notes with links to everything mentioned in all of the episodes. You can sign up at letstalkloyalty.com. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Let's Talk Loyalty, which for me was really a masterclass in co-brand cards, the single biggest driver of profits for so many loyalty programs and a product I've personally never yet had the chance to work with. Nick Leming is an independent consultant and strategic advisor who has spent his whole career dedicated to the loyalty industry including roles as the former head of EMEA and Carlson Marketing in Asia, as well as the former head of loyalty for Cebu Pacific Airline in the Philippines. Nick is now based between Singapore and the Philippines, where his new business, Loyalty Connect OS, enables loyalty, digital and data businesses to access resources offshore to extend their teams for data analytics, operations, and marketing execution. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Nick Leming, all about creating successful co-brand partnerships that deliver value for program owners, program members, and of course, their banking partners. So, Nick Leming, welcome to Let's Talk Loyalty. Hi, Paula. Yeah, great to be on here. Great. It's a long overdue conversation, Nick, so I should probably start with an apology. There's so much we're here to talk about today, and you are an industry expert talking about one of my new favorite topics, which I have very little knowledge on, Nick. So we're here to really talk about the whole business of particularly co-brand. I know one of the main things that you do advise a lot of uh, both airlines and other businesses around the world on. So Plenty to talk about, Nick. Um, really excited to to have you on the show. So, as you know, we always start our conversations here just to get a sense of what our guests really admire, both personally and professionally in our industry. So, I'm going to kick off with the same question as usual. So, Nick, tell me what are your two favorite loyalty programs? Yeah, I think on a on a professional level, um, it would have to be. Uh, the the program and you you had uh, Pablo from uh, Viva Erebus on here uh, fairly recently. Yes. Um, yes. The the Dotas program in Mexico because uh, I had the fortune to be on the design team and uh, advising them, uh-huh. and I think they've done a cracking job of exemplifying what a next gen lifestyle loyalty program is all about and we we've all talked about these type of programs and but it's very hard to deliver on it so i think that will be my my number one and and on a professional level Uh uh-huh 
They've also done a great job with the co-brand. So uh, I'm sure we'll, we'll get the opportunity to talk about that a bit more, more later. Yeah. And yeah. then secondly, on a personal level, it would have to be Singapore Airlines Chris Flyer. Okay. Uh, because I am a member of a lot of programs. I fly several different airlines. Um, yeah. But the yeah. one that I've had the most benefit from a loyalty program from was Chris Flyer. And okay. uh, by that, the, the sort of moment of truth where I was able to fly my my parents around the world up the front. And oh, uh, wow. That that was one of those rewards that you just don't don't forget. So that that's probably why they would be my yeah. personal favorite. Amazing, amazing. Well, I mean, we talk about emotional loyalty so much on this show, Nick, and it's one thing to have a reward for yourself, but I think it's a very different thing to have a reward for your parents. So I can only imagine as as a proud son to be able to to put your parents up front uh, to be an incredibly, uh, yes, just very emotional thing to be able to do and not something I think most of us have had the opportunity. You've actually reminded me one thing I, I got the opportunity to to do uh, before my loyalty days, but in my airline days was I was able to take my mother on Concord. So um, you're absolutely right. These are the kind of memories that uh, I guess the airline industry particularly allows us to enjoy. So well done, Chris Flyer. Uh, We haven't yet had Chris Flyer on the show. So big shout out if anybody's listening from Singapore, we would love to do that conversation. We're certainly uh, keen to share that story because of the incredible work that they do. And of course, it would be remiss if I didn't, of course, comment. You're absolutely right. Pablo was on the show recently with the Dota's program and really, really impressed me in a couple of ways. And I'm glad I now know, actually, Nick, that it was you who was, you know, a strategic advisor for that program because he mentioned that he brought in, you know, amazing expertise. And I just never got to ask him who that was. And I think what I particularly admired in terms of how Pablo approached the whole thing was, you know, he's a strategy guy, but very much aware that he doesn't have the practical expertise that a strategic independent advisor like you would have. So to bring in a global expert um, in order to make sure that you can get it right the first time was something that I just thought Pablo did extremely well. So uh, a huge credit. And if anybody hasn't heard that episode, of course, we'll make sure to link to it in the show notes. So we've got um, plenty of opportunities to make sure people get access to that. So listen, let's get into co-brand, Nick. Um, as I said, this is something that I am feeling very naive about. It's something that I've never worked on. I would have no clue how to go about doing it. And in fact, I think I've even perhaps missed a big opportunity in my own career in the past, you know, working on loyalty programs, which might have had a currency, for example, and never consider that a co-brand card might have been something that strategically we could have considered. So I think just to start at the very beginning, Nick, let's get straight into what is a co-brand card? Yeah, the it's and just relating to you, the, the story that you told there about a lot of people don't realize the kind of opportunity that having this co-branded card actually represents for a loyalty program. So I do think it comes as maybe a surprise to some when we're we're working on a program design product for for an airline of a loyalty mm. program, and all we're really talking about is co-branded cards. We're, we're not actually that interested in in many of the other things, and and it does come as a surprise. So it, it is an opportunity that's either underrepresented or 
remains on the table for for a, a lot of airlines. Uh, and and just before we get into it, I, I must uh, give a shout to Everett DeBoer and the guys from On Point because that yeah. was who uh, were behind the the rest the Dotus program. So it would yes. be remiss of me to take uh, full responsibility for that. But okay, um, noted, perfect. That, that is a, a great opportunity. And as we go through that process, as we have with with several other airlines, um, a, a co-branded credit card is exactly as it sounds it is a credit card product Mm -hmm. that generally has two brands on it or or two brands have come together and and that is an an airline or a retailer or a loyalty program operator Mm -hmm. and a bank or a card issuer Mm. and they come together um in in a very neat way to offer a, a credit card, or in some cases, there's also a debit card or prepaid or a virtual wallet, but mm-hmm. we can maybe talk about that a bit later. Let's focus on credit card for now. Yeah. And it enables the members of the loyalty program to, to sign up, to apply mm-hmm. for that credit card. Mm-hmm. And then there are a few ver- variants of it, but in an ideal world, what happens is that you sign up as a member to the the co-branded card and you you get treated to some benefits mm-hmm. that it unlocks mm-hmm. and you also get the opportunity to earn points or miles directly on all of your spend so wherever you spend you're earning points or miles that just pour into your loyalty mm-hmm. account with the with, with the program mm-hmm. and enable you to get to a reward much much quicker Amazing. Absolutely. I'm writing down the words. I always pick up on things my guests say, as you probably noticed before. I know you listen to the show, but pouring in is um, a very uh, a very aspiring uh, term or very welcome term to hear you use, because I think it's fair to say that when it's done well, and I think that's exactly the topic for today, it pours in for everyone. And there are the three stakeholders. There is the bank, there is, of course, the brand, and there is, of course, the consumer. And, you know, as I went through the, the thinking and planning for today's conversation, for me, what stood out in terms of your, I suppose, uh, teaching and, you know, commentary, for example, on LinkedIn, is the importance of keeping the co in the co-brand. You know, it's to keep that sense of partnership where everybody benefits, because ultimately, and I'm sure we're going to talk about some examples, there's a recipe for disaster at the same time if any one stakeholder is benefiting. And that could be, you know, for example, fraud, I guess that's abuse of a program. And I know there's been issues with that, for example, recently in Canada. There's also uh, an example you posted about as well, where the bank came off poorer, perhaps through an experience in the case of the Apple credit card. So I think for me today, one of the big learnings is co-brand means all stakeholders have to benefit. And I think you had some nice terminology about it might even feel like a stalemate, but actually it has to be that way. Otherwise, ultimately, it's not going to be sustainable uh, and sustainably successful. So at the risk of laboring the basics again, Nick, you know, again, from my pure personal curiosity, the two things that struck me again, I think a lot of the audience know that I started in telecommunications 
Um, so again, we didn't have a currency. We actually didn't think about a co-brand card, therefore, in that context. So one, there does seem to be a model uh, available even for other people in this audience who might not have a currency. So would welcome your comments on that. And secondly, just a sense of a minimum viable audience, because Again, I was in Ireland. So Ireland is a country that's often neglected by brands because we're only, I think at the moment, 5 million or maybe we're up to 6 million people now. But, you know, even a leading telecoms brand, you know, what would be good enough for a card to start to make commercial sense? Because, of course, there's a lot of work that would go into designing a co-brand solution. So would love just your thoughts on those two initial, I suppose, thinking points for people listening to the show today who might not have a co-brand. There's quite a lot to unpack there, but yeah. um, I'll, I'll start off just saying why these loyalty programs are interested in having a co-branded card. Yeah. Uh, and it goes right back to the basic business model that especially the airline programs run on. Mm. The, the, the supermarket programs tend to be slightly different because they're really leveraging data to get money or revenues from their suppliers. Mm-hmm. But the airline programs have come up with a great model where they're able to to have these co-brand cards and there's millions and millions of of points or miles getting issued on those co-branded cards Mm -hmm. and that generates revenue because what the airlines are doing is they're selling those points or miles Mm -hmm. to the bank and then the bank can give those points to their to their customers so that, that's why it's a, a win-win-win for all yeah. of the stakeholders. And we'll talk a little bit about balance in a, in a moment. But mm. what this has resulted in is that loyalty programs for airlines are really not loyalty programs for airlines, but they're, they're thinly veiled financial services companies mm. that are bolted on or attached to airlines. Yeah. Because... One of their sole purposes is how do we become self-sufficient and generate external revenues that fund all of these rewards and great benefits that the the airline are giving? Mm. So to to give an example there, IAG um, reported that, which is the, the, uh, and their, the loyalty arm. Yeah. They reported that it was a a high growth capital light cash generative business that they generated 141 million pounds in the the first half of of 2023, yeah, and it was 50% growth in in these non air business versus before COVID. So what you can see there is that it's a really attractive business model because yeah, a loyalty program that's generating money from a co brand mm-hmm. is very profitable. Mm-hmm. It's generating a huge amount of cash. Mm-hmm. And it, it has literally saved airlines during COVID because yeah. that, that model was was responsible for the, the big American carriers being able to use their loyalty program as collateral to, to borrow chunks yeah. of money during COVID. And, and there are a number of examples of, of other airlines that have used it as an, as an asset. Mm. So it's a great business model is point one. Yeah. Point two is that these type of co-branded cards are super impressive when they they get going right. And and Qantas have been a great um, exponent of this type of model Mm -hmm. in that 
35% of the total credit card spend in Australia mm. goes through Qantas frequent flyer. Wow. So that that's a staggering statistic <laughs> when you, you consider that yeah. you'd have thought it would be a credit card company that's benefiting most from the credit card spend in Australia, but yeah. it's not. It's wow. Qantas. They, they have a huge share of the market through their various co-brand products. And yeah. uh, mm. in one of the, the LinkedIn posts that, that you mentioned, American Airlines have certainly realized that it's important to, to them because they instructed their call center to stop selling car hire mm-hmm. and start selling credit cards instead. And and why did they do that? Well, they, mm. they did it because they generate four and a half billion dollars in point sales to City and Barclay card every year. Mm. So the other thing is that it comes from a very small portion of the base. So yeah. American Airlines is a vast uh, business with a with a huge frequent flyer program, but only 14% of that customer base yeah. have the credit card. So they're delivering a massive chunk of revenue. And, mm-hmm. and I think we can apply that to your what's the minimum viable audience. What I would say to that is the minimum viable audience is the minimum size that a bank will get excited enough mm-hmm. to want to do the card. So in in some of the markets that I work in, you don't have the benefit of this huge credit card base because mm-hmm. yeah. there just aren't that many people who are credit worthy. Mm-hmm. That said, the banks are still looking for these portfolios. Okay. And so they're 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 very willing to do a co-brand product or a variant of it mm-hmm. with smaller audiences. Interesting. Well, yeah. Because they're just so profitable for the bank. Now, mm. that comes back to what's in it for the stakeholders. Mm. And there are three parties in here. You, you've got the, um, the, the customers, mm-hmm. you've got the bank themselves, and then you've mm-hmm. got the the airline or the or the loyalty program and they're in in conflict for who gets the most value from from this product mm-hmm. in that the airline or apple in the in, in the example that you mentioned are in it for their customers so they want to give them maximum rewards yeah uh, the yeah. maximum amount of points the maximum benefits the best possible customer experience mm-hmm. to their customers and and the customers love it because they're getting rewarded for doing what they do every day on a, on a pretty boring thing which is a credit card yeah um, so it it really brings it to life mm. and and so the customers love it because they get rewards the airline or loyalty program love it because they actually get revenue they get paid by the bank and it makes mm-hmm. their customers happy yeah. Why do the banks love it? Well, the banks generally love it because the the credit card holders who are co-brand card holders spend more. Mm-hmm. They have higher outstanding balances. Mm-hmm. They're less delinquent, mm-hmm. meaning they pay their bills. Yeah. And and all of those things mean that the bank earns money from either fees like interchange. Yeah. Those which is based on spend, mm-hmm. but also interest, mm-hmm. annual fees. Yeah. And the the model with a credit card is that you may not make any money out of it until the customer has had it for two or three years because of high acquisition costs. Okay. The banks 
benefit from having uh, this large pool of customers mm-hmm. delivering a lot of revenue, mm-hmm. although it is expensive for them because they have to pay a huge yeah. chunk of money to the loyalty program operator. Yeah. But it also gets you usage. If you've got the choice of using a card that gives you rewards mm-hmm. or a card that doesn't, then nine times out of 10, you're going to use the one that gives you the the biggest benefit or rewards. Mm. Yeah. So banks are not stupid and uh, they've been very, very good at leveraging their power and mm-hmm. the, the potential revenue to the airlines mm-hmm. whose eyes light up. If you go to an airline and say, or a loyalty program operator and say, look, I would love to write you a check every month for having your brand on my card mm. and being able to sell to your your customer base. So airlines have got kind of punch drunk on this ability to generate income and monetize the database mm. to the extent where they've just taken deals from very canny banks that have lots of experience and been able to negotiate mm. a very strong deal in favor of the bank. The airline in the past hasn't really minded because, ah, I'm I'm just getting money money for jam here. This is is great. But what's happened is they've come to a realization over the years that actually this is a very important part of my business. Yeah. And I need to take it seriously. I need to have experienced people in the team. Mm. I need to have a focus on this business because otherwise yeah. there's going to be an imbalance. Yeah. Um, so before we get on to that, the, what's in it for the different stakeholders, for the cardholders, they get rewards. Mm-hmm. They're happy. Yeah. The banks get more revenue, more tenure, higher retention, um, even though it's expensive. Mm-hmm. And the airline get a nice thing to add to their value proposition that increases earn velocity of, of members to get to rewards mm-hmm. and they get the revenue that's being given to, to them by the banks. So when it works, it works really well. Yeah. Amazing. Thank you for that. Yeah. And, you know, so many things I want to pick up on already. Um, you know, I suppose to go back to my, you know, beginning of my loyalty career, as I alluded to back in Ireland, it sounds like, you know, if I had been sitting again in O2 at the time and invited a bank come in to to talk about a co-brand card, they might have been excited, but maybe less excited perhaps than if I was sitting in Aer Lingus, which actually at the time, I don't think had a credit card. I could be wrong. They certainly do now, of course, as part again of the international airline group that you alluded to. But I do like that, I suppose, nuanced understanding about the quality of the credit card customer from an airline, perhaps versus perhaps a mass market customer, maybe in a telecommunications loyalty program. So those are the kind of subtleties that, again, you know, you have access to that I probably, you know, just again, never really thought through in the terms of the detail before. Um, But again, massive opportunities 
And again, the term punch drunk is definitely something that I think, you know, so many airlines were, again, as you said, so thrilled with, you know, huge income coming in, but now feel like perhaps they didn't do the best deal at the time. Um, And particularly, I think we should allude to another of your LinkedIn posts, which was the one about Apple, for example, a card which, you know, seems to be absolutely a winner for consumers absolutely a winner for Apple, but Goldman Sachs, you know, you use the term that banks aren't stupid and yet Goldman Sachs seemed to be absolutely desperate to get out of the deal that they signed up to again as perhaps an inexperienced bank. So I suppose it proves the point, Nick. So you might briefly touch on that example, just as, um, you know, something that isn't working in this case for the bank. And then we might just talk about what does success look like, you know, if we try and get that balance right for all the stakeholders. And maybe let's focus on, you know, airlines again, because we have a huge audience again of of airline people. And as you said, Everett, actually, we do want to give a shout out to, um, he is somebody that has educated us a lot and this audience in terms of talking about, again, the stable recurring revenue streams that loyalty programs can access through the, the loyalty program. So lots of light bulbs going off for me. So would you mind just commenting on the on the Apple card for us? Yeah, and this is a, an example where Apple are the champion of the consumer, and uh-huh. they they've come up with a co-brand card concept that is obviously very much in favour of the consumer. Mm. And the problem with that is that the bank, in this case Goldman Sachs, are footing the bill. Yeah, and. I I talked about there being a need for tension and kind of equality, which leads to this glorious stalemate where the the loyalty program and the the brand are balanced with the bank. Because Mm. if that's not the case, in terms of experience, in terms of negotiation, in terms of the proposition overall. So everyone has to win. And in this case, it was too rich for the consumer. Mm-hmm. And this is me reading from the outside from, from what, okay. what is in the press. Yeah. And Goldman Sachs have been forced to write a check for a billion dollars in in losses to fund this product. Now, that's uh, that, that's maybe okay if what you're getting from it is this, this long-term, sustainable, it will get to profit eventually. But seemingly their their patience has run out and yeah my th- this generally happens but it's normally the other way around in that the bank is normally the one that comes has come up with a deal whereby the 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 winner is the bank yeah and yeah. Uh, maybe not not the loser but they're not getting their share tends to be the brand uh, and we've seen some some public spats that have gone legal uh, around this where where companies have been where companies have been trying to correct that that balance with the bank mm-hmm. um some with more success than than others um so you you need that balance which is why you need experienced people that know yeah. what they're doing at the airline mm-hmm. to, to counter those people that definitely know what they're doing at the bank right and then the the, the customer in that case will end up winning 
Amazing. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, I think it's a lesson to us all, Nick, you know, as I said, you know, Goldman Sachs is a very respectable, reputed brand, but I think a lot less experienced in this particular space. And again, hindsight is always a wonderful thing. Um, So yeah, I think your point is well made that it's important to have expertise on your side, particularly if you are the brand, uh, to make sure that you do get your fair share, because at the end of the day, nobody wants to end up in some um, you know, long drawn out, unfair situation where any one of those three um, stakeholders is essentially benefiting to the expense of the other. So, so let's get into, I suppose, just the the types of credit card models, Nick, because I know there's two particular ones, and again, there's probably varying levels of success based on on what type of co-brand. Again, particularly an airline, just to keep it simple. So, will you explain to us the types of co-brand models that we should be thinking about? And maybe again, some of our audience might realise that they have one and might be more curious about another. Yeah, the the, the two broad types are the typified by the way that points hit your account as a cardholder. One would be a direct transfer model Mm -hmm. where you go out, you spend on your card, Mm -hmm. that spend gets directly converted into points in your loyalty account every month or or periodically. or So it just happens automatically. They they drop in. Uh, And in that model, that, that is the best by far for the consumer. Mm-hmm. It's also the best by far for the airline or the loyalty operator. Okay. It's probably not optimal from a bank perspective. The second model mm-hmm. is where it's a transfer model. So I, I have my credit card mm-hmm. and I spend, I earn bank points on that credit card. Yeah. And then yeah. I can redeem those bank points across mm. or I can transfer them across into the loyalty program. And that may be one loyalty program. So mm-hmm. it could just be that, uh, and I see a lot of, of the second tier airlines that have this relationship where it's supposed to be a co-branded card, but what it actually is is a transfer product. Okay. So. Yeah. In that case, the bank's hanging on to the points until mm-hmm. the customer decides to go through yeah. the process to to redeem them yeah. or transfer them. Yeah. yeah. There's a, a kind of a, a and a B in that that model as well. In that Citibank, for example, has a product called Premier Miles, mm-hmm. where that's where you, you build up points in your mm-hmm. Citibank card and then you have a choice of airlines to to transfer it off to amongst mm-hmm. other rewards so that is a, a pure play travel transfer and, and rewards product mm-hmm. where the one I'm talking about is more where it's supposed to be a co-branded card branded up as the airline and the bank yeah yeah but what the bank has done very cleverly is introduce friction so yeah. Not only do you have to say, right, I'm going to transfer my points now, mm. you have to go through that phone call, and generally it is a phone call or some process yeah. that tends to be quite complicated and annoying mm. to transfer the point. So th- there's lots of friction there. Why do the banks do that? Well, if you don't use your points, it doesn't cost the bank anything. Yes. So great model for them, Yeah. bad yeah. model for the airline. Um, mm. So. 
but there are a lot of those models out there. Uh, the, the other issue, and we, we haven't tackled the 800-pound gorilla in the room yet, which is data. Okay, of course. <laughs> because if you've got a direct transfer model, then mm. you can also negotiate access to the data, quite granular data, with the bank. Mm. Now, that that is Pandora's box from an airline loyalty perspective because you're able to, to really build a rich profile of your member base. Mm-hmm. And do all the things that that you've wanted to do because you have this big influx of data. Yeah. On the transfer model, if you imagine you're earning all of your points in bank points and then Mm. only when you decide to do it, and that could be three years. It could Mm. be five years because a lot of these programs are evergreen, so your points never expire. Mm. Then the airline doesn't even know that you have that card. Mm. Wow. So – they, they they have no control. There's no chance that they're going to get the data. Mm-hmm. So it is a suboptimal model for sure for for airlines. Yeah. But there are a lot of these arrangements in place. And, and some of them it's due to they have no choice. Okay. So if you're a if you're a smaller airline or even a big airline mm-hmm. trying to launch a co-brand in the United States or Yeah. Australia or one of the the sort of bigger markets, yeah. then a co-branded card with direct transfer may not be an option for you because okay. you you have to have a massive base okay. in order for that to be attractive to the US banks. But if it is a matter of choice, if it's your home market, then it's inexcusable really to have that transfer relationship in place. And mm. I would say that they're the more old-fashioned type of deals as well, where yeah. it's about the bank minimizing cost. Yeah. The airline just get that little bit of revenue. Mm. They're happy. Yeah. The customer ultimately isn't happy because it's just not easy and it's not delivering value. Yeah. That's a, that's a, exactly what I was thinking, Nick. Because you know, I have a you know, Emirates NBD is my is my bank, and and Skywards is the program, and it is that automated direct earn model that you talked about. So as you explained the core differences, you know, I really look forward to my credit card statement coming through. Bizarrely enough, and I do pay it off every month. But I love to see. Yes, here's the Skywards miles, and I know that two weeks later they're going to show up in my Skywards account. I have nothing to do. And, you know, as I think about it from Skyward's perspective, who, again, we're, we're great friends with here on the show, of course, it makes perfect sense. Um, and, and everybody, I do think, benefits at the end of the day. Um, so, yeah, I, I really like that piece. And I guess the, the the other, you know, I suppose I suppose it's a minor point, but we often talk on the show about the, um, the issue of breakage and it being something that we don't aspire to, but it is a commercial reality. So, you know, if there is going to be breakage, you know, why should the bank benefit um, if it is a case where, of course, the airline can, can make sure that they get um, whatever benefit again, which is a questionable one, but, um, you know, absolutely another point in the overall mix. So an awful lot to think about. And thanks for explaining why there might be some with the less optimum model. Again, probably more of the audience listening to this might be in that situation, as you said, not by choice. 
But the other piece I was also worrying, wondering about, Nick, as well is, do you think that brands should focus on a single bank partner? Should they go for multiple partners? Because I'm sure there's, again, pros and cons for each of those. And again, back to your LinkedIn posts, which clearly everybody listening to this now has to follow you on LinkedIn. Um, I think you mentioned now, Nick, that Qantas has 50 cards or 50 bank partners. I'm not exactly sure, but an extraordinary number. So what's your thinking on, on whether brands should go for, for one or more than one? Yeah, I think that's a, that's a great question. Um, and the Qantas example is a good one. And they're, they're probably the most evolved okay. when it comes down to, to that model. Mm-hmm. But they're also in a unique position in that they're yeah. in Australia. They're they're a major major player, yeah. uh, if not dominant. Yeah. Totally. Then what they were able to do is several years ago they they said if you want to earn Qantas frequent flyer miles through a credit card, then uh-huh. it has to be a direct transfer. Okay. And it has to be a co-branded card. Okay. So all of the banks were forced to launch a Qantas frequent flyer co-branded card. Amazing. Which means that you do have 50-something variants and you do have 35% of all the spend going through Qantas. Now, I think every bank would like, sorry, every airline would like to have that model. Every bank would definitely not like to have that model. Okay. We see a reverse in the States where it tends to be an airline with one or two or three bank partners. Yeah. And they're really focused. They have a really tight relationship. Yeah. And it works well. I think it works for everyone in that model. Okay. So two extremes, probably driven by market situation. Yeah. More than anything else. Yeah. If you you have the opportunity as an airline and you're sitting there looking at your market, there are going to be certain things that you need to look at before mm-hmm. you can decide whether you need one partner, mm-hmm. multiple partners, or the whole market. Mm. Um, and th- those factors would be things like, what is your your market share? What is your market power? Yeah. How big is the market? If you're in India, mm-hmm. uh, and we've been spending a lot of time in India recently. I can um, imagine. Yeah. Then you're looking at the market and it's enormous mm. from a geographic perspective, from mm-hmm. a diversity perspective. Sure. So if you're looking to try and cover the market mm-hmm. somewhere like in India, can you do it with one partner? Yeah. We'll we'll see. Um, yeah, fair point. On the flip side, mm-hmm. are you dominant enough to say any bank that wants to give my points mm-hmm. has to issue a card in my name mm-hmm. and I'll control that? Mm-hmm. Do I have that level of market power? So it's quite unusual in that we've got polarized strategies in the US with very few bank partners Mm -hmm. in Australia with very, very diverse. So there isn't a simple answer to that question, but I think it also comes down to maturity in that how long have you been doing this? You you couldn't 
just jump in and say, well, yeah. I'm going to create a Qantas model. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm new to loyalty or my yeah. program's been pretty average. Yeah. This is what I'm going to do. I, I just don't think that's realistic. Um, so you need to take a look at each situation. Yeah. And adapt the strategy to maximize your coverage. Yeah. Maximize competitiveness as well, in that you want the banks to be competing. Okay. So you, yeah. you need to be attractive. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. And, and as we record this now, it's um, September, September 2023, Nick, as well. And another thing you mentioned to me off air, which again shows how seriously, I suppose, other brands are taking this within our extended industry. So I think you mentioned that Booking.com um, are appointing uh, certainly a leadership uh, person or team. I'm not exactly sure of the detail, but it sounds like they realize that, yeah, they can't just jump in, even given their market dominance as a you know a hotel engine it feels like that they realize that the importance of the expertise that you're you're talking about has to be uh, throughout that organization before they can optimally develop their co-brand partnerships would that be fair to say yeah i think there's what they've seen is there's a north star here and the north star is there's there's a wonderful opportunity for us to emulate the airlines and come up with a product that generates us money locks in our customers or or influences our customers yeah it increases the share of life that we have with our with our customers as well in that we're a bigger part of their life so when they're spending in the supermarket Mm. they're thinking about oh does that mean that i can now yeah get some reward from from booking or that or their airline Mm-hmm. Um, so that they've seen that North Star and they've also realized that this isn't something that you enter into lightly. Yeah. And yeah. that they're going to be negotiating with the, the, the big players. And mm. in order to come up with a, a product that works, yeah, they mm. need that level of expertise. So they, they've recruited someone to lead it with, with extensive experience mm-hmm. and he's building out a team. Mm-hmm. So I, I think they've been very smart in their their approach. Mm-hmm. And but the size of the prize is gigantic. Uh, to to quote, there was in, in Germany fairly recently, mm-hmm. um, Miles and Moore, Lufthansa's loyalty program announced that from 2025, mm-hmm. um, Deutsche Bank is going to take over the, the co-brand portfolio. Yeah. yeah. Um, for miles and more yeah and they, they quoted some statistics in that um it will double the transaction volume of deutsche bank that that portfolio wow. it, it should generate 100 million euros in annual revenues yeah that members spend five times more than non-members mm-hmm. in the in the program and that it will actually represent 20 percent of mastercard country revenue so these are huge stats and yeah. it's not really surprising that other brands want to get on the act because the airlines have built such a wonderful business yeah in so many markets <laughs> working with these banks why wouldn't yeah. booking.com and, and others consider doing it and the telcos to your point earlier 
Totally, totally. I mean, there's um, light bulbs going off everywhere here, Nick, because honestly, it is exciting when the prize, as you said, is is so huge. And I'm conscious we're coming up on time and we haven't even begun to talk about, as you said, data as, as a huge topic in its own right. Interchange, of course, globally. I know you have amazing expertise and insights in how different that is. And of course, how it dictates, of course, the end products as well and affects perhaps consumers in a negative way in certain markets, for example. Um, But the final main point I I wanted to ask you about today, Nick, was around, I suppose, the the relevance of status um, in terms of co-brand, because we had American Airlines recently on the show, as I think you know, and there's definitely, um, to me, a dramatic change happening um, within airlines. Uh, So I'd love you just to explain that for our audience. How does status relate to to the co-brand? card how should they be thinking about that as we go forward into 2024 yeah the uh the status is like a secondary currency that the airline programs have and again it's been relatively underutilized as a currency in its own right it's tended to be more yeah. of a thank yeah. you and, and reserved for the very top members but yeah. american airlines really turned that on its head and I think, and again, I'm I'm reading from outside the lines here. Yeah. I think they took a look at their business mm-hmm. and realized that co-brand credit card and the spend that comes with it is super expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, expensive is super beneficial to them as a yeah. as a brand. Yeah. Uh, and it's a big part of their business model. So they should be rewarding in some way with status and and whatever else they have in their armory yeah those members who are willing to take it up mm. so they took a look at their whole status program and they re-engineered it to accommodate but not just to accommodate credit card earning that mm-hmm. you can now when you spend you earn a loyalty point mm-hmm. and that loyalty point goes towards your your status in the the loyalty program. Mm. So what they've been able to do is reward those people for big spends on their credit card. What that meant is that they had to make a call here because commercial reality bites. And I think Delta might be going through the same thing at the moment. Yeah. Is that if you give more people status Mm -hmm. based on their credit card spend, you may challenge your economics of being able to afford the loyalty program as a whole because of the benefits you give out come at a cost. Yeah. So what they were forced to do is give and take in Mm. that I can give status points to those people on their credit card, but then I need to raise the overall level of qualification for my elite status. Yeah. So instead of earning needing to earn X thousand qualification points, you had to earn far more. Yeah. And yeah. that just reflected the fact that if you took the credit card, then mm-hmm. your own velocity of status credits or qualification miles. Yeah. Loyalty points goes up. Yeah. So they had to make it harder for you to get there. Now what that's meant is that those people who just earn from flying Mm-hmm. are going to struggle yeah. to earn status 
because of that increased threshold. Mm-hmm. But it's a smart model because when you look at it from a, a loyalty program operator perspective, mm-hmm. you want your revenues, your funding to be coming from the, the co-brand cards. So mm-hmm. you have to reward it. Mm-hmm. Somebody has to not lose, but it has to be more challenging to, to others. So yeah. that, that was a, a, a big shift that that we saw. And from the discussions with with Emirates, um, they, they recently uh, announced they had, I think, 2.45% in the elite tiers mm. of all of their 32 million base mm. and 0.05% in platinum. So a very tiny portion of people. Yeah. So imagine yeah. what happens if you shifted that as American Airlines did yeah. To a model where you can get more people potentially in that status. So it has to be give and take. Absolutely. Nick, I feel like we could do a whole second hour on this, but uh, I'm going to save that for another day because, um, yeah, there's so much in there. And this topic is only just kicking off, I think, from a Let's Talk Loyalty perspective. I suppose as I recap on the statistic of all of the ones you've shared with us, the one that really landed, as you know, on LinkedIn was this, you know, American Airlines $4 billion but just from 14% of the base. So the the scale of the prize, you know, the size of the opportunity, if they were able to get that penetration up, was really what I suppose opened my eyes to it. And I almost feel like, you know, reflecting back to my MBA days where the, the one abiding lesson I learned when I did my MBA was it's all about capturing the value. And as business people, that's really, I think, what you're talking about uh, in terms of making sure people understand that there is is so much value at stake, make sure you get the economics right at the very beginning so that you absolutely optimize again to keep your customers happy, have the the maximum benefits, of course, as the issuing brand, which is, uh, of course, our core concern on this show. So listen, um, that's all I wanted to to go through today, Nick. Um, Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we wrap up? I think that I I would just summarize to say that it's a great opportunity, these co-brand cards. Um, you do need to be careful when you're putting it together. You do need a genuine partnership. Yeah. Um, and that, yes, the economics are really important. The value proposition for the customer is also really important. So you have to get that right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the final thing is that probably the the data. We, we shouldn't forget the data. We didn't really talk about it, but yeah. the data is really that very thick, rich cream on top of that that loyalty cake because and you must get it and you must uh, consider that as a, a big part of these uh, co-brand products so amazing yeah, it was great talking to you Amazing. Wise words indeed. We'll save that for the next conversation. So I'll make sure, of course, to, to, to link to you in the show notes, Nick. So Nick Laming, Independent Consultant and Strategic Advisor. Thank you so much from Let's Talk Loyalty. Thanks, Paula. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Loyalty. If you'd like us to send you the latest shows each week, simply sign up for the Let's Talk Loyalty newsletter on letstalkloyalty.com and we'll send our best episodes straight to your inbox. And don't forget that you can follow Let's Talk Loyalty on any of your favorite podcast platforms. And of course, we'd love for you to share your feedback and reviews. 
Thanks again for supporting the show.